Right, we're about to bring in Darren Stanton. Hello, Darren. How's it going, my friend? Awesome. How are you? Very good, thank you. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, I was watching on Jack Mate. I went on his show as well. I had a good laugh with him, and yeah. I really enjoyed well, I what you really enjoy what you had to say. Oh, thank you. Um, I've, I've given a, a lengthy introduction to you earlier on, but can I just ask you if you want to give a bit, little, you know, tell the viewers a little bit about your specialty? Yeah, sure. Um, well, obviously, my background really is sort of psychology. I was a prison psychologist. Started off as a kid loving the show Cracker. Robbie Coltrane, for those that are watching that, are old enough to remember that show. Um, there was a psychologist at Crack Crime helping the police as a psychologist. Um, realised that that really wasn't wasn't reality. Um, so I spent a little bit of time as a prison psychologist. Then I was looking around for something different, and I ended up joining the police. Um, so long story short, did an array of different um, sort of psychological courses because back then the police actually had some money uh, to help me with the CPD stuff. And um, so I really spent a little under twenty years as a response cop, interrogating or interviewing suspects. Um, and as I say in my bio, you know, I spent my career sort of dealing with lives, sheets of criminals on a daily basis. And then um, sort of 2010, I've been sort of mooching around a little bit in media, doing some talks. Um, and then sort of, you know, quite a few big opportunities came my way. Um, and it sort of snowballed. And then from 2010, I quit the police and have worked sort of in this area ever since. So the McCanns are going to be one of the subjects tonight. So viewers, if you've got questions wherever you are in the world, put those in the chat and Ash will collate them. But just going back to what you've just said, Darren, so body language, behavioral expert. Now, is that something that you had specific training in or is that just a skill you accumulated over the years by dealing with people who were trying to use uh, you know, body language and saying things to try and deceive you? Yeah, great question. So formally, I'm sort of got a degree in psychology and um, trained in forensic psychology, which was obviously what where the prison service came in. And ironically, I don't use any of the skills I learned from forensics in this work. And let me quantify that. So obviously, if you're interviewing people on a daily basis, you they call it a copper's nose, I think. So I think like most people that are watching, we have this gut instinct or a lot of us have that ability to kind of spot, spot, you know, cut through the rubbish, cut through the bullshit, quite frankly. Um, so I think my skills really come from a 20-year sort of career of doing this on a daily basis for my job, um, but also from things like NLP, which is, if people are not aware of, that's a communication sort of um, discipline. Um, and that, that there's some certain factors from that enable you to see very subtle changes in emotion. Because what I do is I'm not really detecting deception or lies. What I'm really doing is I'm, I'm good at seeing changes in emotion. And then from that, Sean, we think, well, why is that person verbally saying they're happy, but non-verbally, you know, everything's contradicting what they're saying. So that's where you, you kind of, the, the deception detection comes in. And some of it could come from hypnosis, believe it or not. So I'm a hypnotist as well. So you can do conversational hypnosis. Um, and I trained doing the Paul Ekman stuff, if people are aware of Paul Ekman, which is the micro-expression um, training. Um, and then, obviously, people are going to be probably aware of Peter Hyatt um, with the statement analysis. So what I do really brings sort of NLP, psychology, hypnosis, um, and then things like the statement analysis. So... It's not all about the nonverbal now. It's as people are aware, it's very much what people or the way that people phrase things can give us massive clues in terms of what's happening on the inside. 
Yeah, we had Peter Hyatt on last week. A very popular. Oh, Welcome to get him back guy. soon. Yeah. So what got you interested in the McCann case, Darren? Well, the thing about it is, certainly from a police point of view, there's been no, what we, again, shop talk, MISPA, you know, um, a high-risk MISPA, high-risk missing person. There's been no um, pers- missing person in British history that's had more money put into it, more police time uh, and more PR attention. So, you know, it's probably the biggest missing person case, really, that, you know, that we've ever known. Um, and just really the the whole scenario where things began to play out. And, you know, I watched some of the, the very early interviews um, that they did, and there just something wasn't right, you know. Um, I mean, I know there's lots of things that we're aware of that people can give off false positives, hence why I'm not a big believer in polygraph. Um, and that ends why I turned an opportunity down on a, a very well-known talk show in the UK that used to be on, um, to be on that show. And I, I, I turned it down on the basis that they use polygraph um, because people can under stress demonstrate or, you know, present the same sort of um, signatures as a guilty person. Um, but with with watching the, the early interviews, just just the, ho- the whole ball of wax really didn't make sense to me. You know, what they were saying verbally and what they were conveying, none of it was being, uh, none of it was kind of congruent with their non-verbal gestures. Could you give some examples of that then? Yeah, I mean, just in terms of very subtly things like breathing, when there was an interview that I watched, I think it was about seven or eight weeks after the disappearance, and they're being interviewed by a guy from Sky, um, and he asked um, the mum, the mum, you know, are you, how do you feel? Are you, are you shocked or something or something on those lines? And uh, but 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 then Jerry McCann sort of took a deep breath, and I've seen somebody equate it to going over a roller coaster. It's almost like here we go again. You know, we're 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 having to go through this all over again. It's almost like we've got to be very careful here. And also, um, there's something that comes from the micro expression training package by Paul Ekman. And um, as we know, there's 43 sort of muscle muscles in the face. The, there's kind of there's a muscle here that's engaged, which is sort of grief, um, and we can't do that on you know we can't do that consciously. So that coupled with a thing called shame gesture, where um, the mother Kate McCann just basically answered the question, but then she immediately looked down and sort of tilted. So gesturally, you know that's denoting shame, and some of the ways some of the pronouns that she used were were in, were in past tense. So there was a number of sort of three or four red flags that, that kind of presented straight away, whereas an innocent person or a person that has no knowledge of anything, it would be a lot more kind of um, eloquent. There would be a lot more free-flowing. There wouldn't be any hesitancies. There wouldn't really be, even though, even though emotions you know, are, are riding high. It was just a bit too cool and calm and collected for my liking, really. So when you say using the past tense then, are you referring to them talking about Maddie in the past tense as if she were already deceased so that they weren't putting out the vocabulary that would indicate that they were still eagerly searching for her. Yeah, so the, yeah, there's certain things that people that, you know, that are, are genuinely seeking help, you know, asking the public. That's why, as we know, the, the cops now quite readily, and more so in this country now, will you know, ask if they suspect a family member, they'll put them in front of a press conference and they'll get somebody like myself to, to sit there and, and say, what do you think? 
Um, but but I think essentially for me, so what was the question again, Sean? I think I lost my thread then. So I was asking you, you referred to them using the past tense. Yeah, sorry, yes. Yeah. So there's a, there's a bit in Kate's book where, you know, she says her privates, it's a bizarre statement, her privates were, were near perfect or something. There's a few other pronouns, a few other gestures where it, it speaks about her being the past tense, whereas any parent would, even if they're sceptical that, you know, all these years have gone by, they, they probably would still live in hope. You know, I mean, the, the, the missing person cases that I dealt with, you know, people just, I mean, this this thousands and thousands of people go missing every day, but, no, you know, no case ever attracted this amount of attention. Um, so, I, again, I just, it just kind of just stacked up to me. That was the best way of describing it, sort of what we call kinesthetically, you know, my gut instinct um, just, it just didn't sit right with me. So Hillary is asking whether you've looked at the body language or statements of the McCann's friends who attempted to back up their story? Yeah, I mean, personally, I've not seen um, anything that contradicts. I think they're just being quite genuine in that um, they're, they're back, you know, they're sort of supporting their friends. I know there's a lot of inconsistencies in terms of their account of where the villa was, and they said they have they had line of sight and all these different things. Um, but this is, if you think about this, I mean, I, I worked on the Huntley case. I'm not going off, off track here, but to, to sit there and, and talk to journalists and face the cameras knowing that you've allegedly, you know, done done this thing, it's it takes a lot. And um, to, to manage all those different sort of autonomic mechanisms within the brain, it's like juggling, trying to juggle 10 balls. So I think we do get to this stage, you know, we, we should be obviously aware of called cognitive overload, that people just find it incredibly difficult. Uh, but going back to your question, um, I've not seen anything specifically within sort of friends and stuff that, would lead me to believe that they've, you know, been let into a secret um, or anything like that. Um, I think they're probably acting with a good heart. So I've got a more broader question from Indie Girl. Why hasn't Madeline been declared dead so we can stop funding this circus? Well, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Because generally it's about six years. I think it's six years legal, seven years uh, for someone to be um, legally declared dead. So that is a very good question. I don't have an answer for you. But but I agree with you. It's I think it's time now to draw a line, um, you know. And then yeah, so I agree with you on that. Great question. So when you're doing your analysis, then how do you incorporate the variations of expressions of shock? Um, so essentially, it's also linked to surprise. So what we say is that if you ask somebody a question, if they're trying to feign shock or surprise. If it lasts longer than generally a second or two, then they're actually contriving that emotion. They're trying to convey that emotion. Whereas, you know, true shock or true surprise, it's almost like someone throwing something at you, Sean, and you you automatically flinch. Um, it's that instantaneous. So generally, you know, if someone, if um, you tell someone some say say gossip at work, if they really labour the expression of shock or surprise, um, generally they knew about it. So there's been a few instances again where the, 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 the expressions of emotion from the pair of them has just been too drawn out. It's just been, you know, they've kind of over-egged the pudding, if that makes sense, on some certain interviews. See if we can get you to comment on this comment. The 38 questions Kate refused to answer, they said there is no proof she was harmed. Well, what's not harmful about kidnap? They know what happened. So 
do you think then from the body language they know more than they're letting on yeah there's something called linguistic deflection so for example if you if you say to me did you do this uh, darren you know, did you did you really steal that be honest um if i if i basically sidestep it or object that or kind of sidestep the question later on um i can i can sort of say well i never lied to you sean you know by refusing to answer that question it's almost like they can come back and say, well, I never lied to you. So it's lying by omission almost. Um, so I think, yes, that's 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 what that's all about. We call it a linguistic deflection, that people will try and change the subject or they'll try and sidestep it and say, I mean, I know one of the interviews I looked at recently, um, they, were, they were being asked questions in the early few weeks of her being missing. And Kate says, well, we can't discuss that. Now, was that the police saying don't disclose that information because we've still got live lines of inquiry? Or was that her being, you know, sort of um, manipulative, really, in saying or inferring that she can't discuss that because the police have told her to? We, we, we weren't ever told. So I'm with Darren Stanton. Wherever you are watching this, if you've got a question for Darren, we're presently on the McCann case. And we're talking more specifically about the body language and behaviour um, of the McCann's parents. If you've got a question in that area, please put them in the chat. Now, the careers. You've got people working in the medical profession high up. Uh, I think there's something called a messiah complex um, where these people are esteemed and you know, are obviously experts in the profession, but that kind of body language extends out to the general conversations. So how do you incorporate that? as well into this picture again a question i mean essentially um people often think for example i assess a lot of politicians for the media and things like that and people often assume that because they're in these high positions and um, that they've been heavily coached or you know they they're, they're fantastic at lying well the reality is that you know we've all got the same autonomic nervous system even though someone's probably very well trained a politician a doctor and um, they're still going to be on a, um they're not going to be able to, to control every aspect of things like blink rates, pupil dilation, you know, skin tone colour. Um, so, so they're still going to leak out the same sort of gestures. Now, they may be able to, you know, maybe suppress a couple of them. It's almost like juggling two balls. But when they're under a lot of pressure and we've got this detection apprehension coming in, because being under the scrutiny of, of media as they were um, initially, you know, um, that's a lot of pressure. So we call that detection apprehension. So the focus is going to be very much on what they're saying verbally, not so much non-verbally, but because their focus is being, you know, they've been very careful what they say and don't say. And um, we do get this leakage coming out, hence why it's been spotted by, by people like, like Peter Hyatt and myself and others. So Darren, in your career, have you come across people who are impervious to leakage, professional deceivers? Yeah, of course, there's going to be, you know, when we talk about psychopaths, not every psychopath is a Michael Myers. A psychopath can be, you know, lots of people in business that would score as a psychopath on a, a psychometric test. And principally, it's about having this lack of developed emotion. If somebody wants a particular thing, they will, you know, they're not, they're not caring about you. They won't um, show empathy. They'll just go for what they want. Um, so I think there's probably a large degree of that as well. So people with psychiatric disorders or personality disorders, sociopathy, psychopathy. And then the other thing is if someone truly believes something, so almost like being a method actor, if you truly embrace and believe 
and what you're telling the police or what you're telling the media, the brain will always um, remain consistent with its belief system. So if you convince yourself of something, then the brain will produce the outward leakage consistent with that belief. So, yeah, there are people out there that are, I mean, and that's why, you know, people get scammed all the time and, and things happen because some people are just very plausible. So if memory is malleable, what does that say about eyewitness testimony? If those people can get understand and believe what they're saying, even though they've rewritten the facts in their own minds? Yeah. I mean, this is why the police, certainly in this country, brought in a thing called cognitive interview where um, they would get a first account from a witness and, and then they'd say, right, imagine you're the CCTV camera. Imagine you're going to what we call second position. And even at tra training school, when was trained as a cop, you know, they'd set up a scenario with actors and then you'd have maybe 15 guys in the class. We'd all write a, a witness statement, what we saw, and every single statement varied in some, some way. Some people said that, you know, the mugger had a red jacket, some said green. So, you know, witnesses are not impervious, really. Um, I think very often in court, it's it's just, dare I say, it's a little bit like theatre. It's, it's who can draw out the information relevant to that particular defence or prosecution, if that makes sense. It certainly does. I've, I've seen that firsthand. So Jenny wants to know what you think of Operation Grange. I'm going to be honest, I don't know anything about it. Okay. Um, during your analysis, have you ever seen a change in the pupil of the eye? Yeah, yeah, lots of times. So that's one of the key things that we look for. Um, eye contact, pupil dilation and blink rate are three great ways to spot if there's been a sudden change in emotion straight away. So certainly pupil dilation, and that's going to denote a sudden rapid change in, in emotion. Um, blink rate um, is generally going to double or triple. Um, and also, we all know that, you know, people think liars can't look you in the eye. Um, well, generally, three to five seconds of eye constant eye contact without blinking or looking away. And what I say when I do public speaking, for example, I say, if somebody is trying to convince you of something and they they sort of look you in the eye for longer than five seconds, they're going to kill you or kiss you. So let me quantify that. Yeah. Um, generally, fixed eye, eye, um, eye contact is, is reserved for romantic partners, for family, for close friends. Um, and also on the flip side, when I was a police officer waiting for the pubs to, to sort of kick out on a Saturday night in the van, the first thing that we'd see is you'd have, although women used to fight as well, generally the guys would come out and the first level of aggression would be what are you looking at? And then it would escalate. So eye contact is very, very important. So if you've got somebody that's trying to kind of convince you of something, you know, if they're prolonging eye contact more than sort of five or six seconds, you know, let that be a, a red flag to you. So did you notice any particular, particular incidences of accelerated blink rate or pupil dilation with the McCanns? Yes. Yeah, I did, actually. And also with Jerry McCann, his, one of his things that he can't control is duping delight. Um, he was interviewed by Jeremy Paxman. And for those that are not in the UK, Jeremy Paxman is, well, not so much now, but he was a very sort of hard-hitting, you know, investigative journalist, presenter. And, and he was saying, do you not think you courted the media in the early days? Do you not think it was a bit of a carnival? And, and rather than defending it and, and saying, well, this is my daughter, you know, this is what do you want me to do? Um, he just basically had a massive grin on his face. So, you know, that is completely incongruent with someone that's, that's trying to find his daughter. You know, so that's, that's another one that Jeremy can, you know, 
I've not seen him recently been interviewed, but certainly in the early days, he would just start smiling for no apparent reason. Um, and that brings me to was it, was it Susan Smith in America, where she alleged that she was carjacked. And then they were doing this press conference to the media. Her husband was innocent, knew nothing about it. He was making pleas to the media to help them find the killers. And it transpired that she'd shot the kids and killed them and let the handbrake off on the car and let it roll into the river. And she was um, interviewed and she was telling the journalist, the worst thing about what happened was, you know, seeing the blood coming out, coming out of my child's head. Um, but then she just grew, if you on YouTube, you'll see it. And she just grins for no reason. I, I actually use that on one of my lectures. And you're thinking, wow, that's chilling. That's really chilling. You know, you're talking about the death of your children one week after they were murdered. And now you're suddenly smiling. Is it possible that Jerry McCann's grinning could have been part of a shock reaction? Potentially, but then when you look at that in relation to other gestures as well. So what I always say is, this is why I'm not a big believer in, in polygraph. Because as we know, polygraph is, you know, galvanic skin response. So we sweat, our pulse goes up, our heart races. Um, and we know, you know, that, that um, people can give these false positives. So with the things that I do, I'm looking for maybe seven or eight different red flags to create what we we'll call a behavioral cluster. So we wouldn't just suddenly accuse somebody of deception, you know, if they suddenly shifted their eye position or began to blink. And um, we're looking at seven or eight inconsistencies within a very short space of time on a particular topic. Um, so I, in my opinion, you know, this stuff is more accurate than polygraph. It takes into account false positives. So you're saying that when you notice these things with the McCanns, seven or eight other things were kicking in as well? Yeah, so we're looking at blink rate, pupil dilation. Um, the other good way to look at people's lips. Yeah, so if, because of the fight or flight syndrome, generally people's lower lip will go very, very pale. Um, I worked on, um, in, in England, the, the select committee with the um, phone hacking scandal with the uh, Murdochs about 10 years ago. And they were being interviewed by ministers and James Murdoch, the son. Um, it was so blatant, you didn't have to be an expert to spot it, Sean, but his right cheek would flush every time he told a lie. It was like Pinocchio. <laughs> so um, sometimes it can be that easy. So you're saying then that the lips drain of blood, does that, does that thick cause the lips to thin? Yeah, well, essentially it's the fight or flight. So it goes back to sort of primeval days. So if you're in a position where you're being, you know, going to be attacked, the, obviously the body will pull blood away from the body into the hands for you to fight. Um, and likewise to the legs to run. So when people feel threatened, so if you suddenly begin to talk about a topic that they're not comfortable talking about, um, then what will tend to happen is you'll see um, the lower lip and also earlobes as well. Um, but more so the lower lip, if that suddenly goes very pale, it means there's been a dramatic shift in emotion internally. And then you have to ask yourself the question, well, you know, you're trying to come over cool and calm, but I've just asked you, did you steal that property or did you burgle that house? Or, you know, were you involved in this disappearance? Um, why would an innocent person, um, you know, an innocent person might have that gesture, but that alone, they wouldn't have six or seven other things firing off. So, yeah, always look for the lower lip on people. And this is cross-cultural as well. None of this stuff is cultural. You know, we work with anybody anywhere in the world. So always look for the lips going very pale all of a sudden. So would someone who was telling lies and the lip was doing what you just described, would there be a rise in the heart rate as well? Yeah, a good way to look at breathing is, is shoulders. You know, has there been a shift in the way that, 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 you know, the sort of rate of the shoulders moving? That's a good way to, especially if they've got like a heavy coat on. 
Um, that's that's always kind of quite a good way. And we're probably aware of, you know, the bilateral shoulder shrug. It could be quite um, essential. When when somebody says, you know, what do you think about that? You don't care. You go, I don't, I don't care. You know, I'm indifferent. But when people are trying to create the impression they're indifferent, it's almost like a half gesture of this shoulder shrug. And we saw that with Ian Huntley, the child killer, being interviewed. It's very, very subtle, but you can see it if you're looking for it. It's trying to create this somewhat, well, I'm not really bothered or I'm, not, I'm indifferent, but they really are. So you're saying there's a correlation between movements of the shoulders and heart rate? Um, I'm saying that the person's perception of detection apprehension triggers um, this, this cognitive overload. Um, and then, therefore, all these things then come into play because your nervous system is obviously autonomic. Um, a lot of these things will just happen automatically at once or as, as they go along. So the best way to test it is if you suddenly change the subject um, onto something else and, and those gestures decrease, then you know that that's the hot spot. That's the hot button, um, you know, where, you know, for, for that, 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 that sort of behavior. So if you're interrogating someone then and these body language cues start to kick in, do you then intensify your questioning in that area? Is that the plan? Well, the thing about England is, the UK, for example, is the interviewing process has been the same for many, many years. They tend not to embrace a lot of this stuff. So, for example, I once asked somebody a question, a prolific burglar, and you always generally know the answer. You've already got your evidence at the side of you. Um, but I left about 20 seconds worth of silence and the solicitor kicked up, kicked in and said, officer, you're being oppressive. So the police, have, and they, certainly in the UK, have got their hands tied to a large extent. I know it's other parts of the world, sort of America and things like that. Um, and there are a lot of, my belief is a lot of the interrogations aren't recorded, whereas obviously the UK, everything's recorded. Um, and even the slightest deviation from from the the main you know the main sort of peace model um they call it a it's oppressive so you've got a very narrow road that you've you've got to work with so is silence a strategy in interrogations absolutely could because you know it's like in sales they say the first one to break the silence loses you know be it the customer <laughs> or the salesman and that's true because <laughs> innocent people don't feel the need to fill the silence oh wow all right, so we've got a question from Blank Faces. <laughs> That's pertinent. What did you think of Jerry's reaction to the cadaver dogs? Yeah, great question again. I mean, again, we're seeing, um, if you zoom in on, on, on the things, you get an increase in blink rate. You get a shift in eye accessing cues. So, you know, I know people criticize that, but it is a good, it is a good way to um, see a shift in emotion. I know a lot of people say, if you, I don't believe that when people remembering things all the time you know some people might look in a certain direction um and be be sort of being truthful so with him he does shift his position at certain times when he's being asked about those about those cadaver dogs so there are a number of tells blink rates if you again if you zoom in there is a change in lip and the blood blood flow there um and also i think with anchor points so if someone's sat in a particular posture um yeah people if they've been sitting for a while will naturally want to move their change their posture a little bit but if somebody suddenly does it, um, they've had been consistent all the way through the interview and then suddenly change in relation to that particular question. I remember Huntley, uh, I watched Huntley's interview um, when he was interviewed by Cambridgeshire Police. And at one point, the pre in, in, in custody, there's just one point when he cannot take it anymore. And he just literally bowed his head 
and it's almost like switching off a, a robot. He just cannot continue because he's physically exhausted. Um, because it's, it's fatiguing to keep up that pretense under that amount of pressure. It's not an easy thing. So you're saying a big shift in the seated position. Yeah, so so if people are sat in a certain posture, certain positions, so I'm just sort of sat like this. And then I begin then if you if you increase your you know sort of um questioning into me, um one of the things that's gonna happen is again, my posture is gonna shift. I'm gonna begin to make what we call pacifying gestures, which are self-reassurance gestures. So any sort of hand-to-mouth gesture, um, you know, King Charles used to do this where he took his hand in his jacket or play with his cufflings. And these are times when he's not feeling confident. And likewise, when people are feeling uneasy, you know, whereas they felt quite comfortable me sitting like this, if I begin to feel under pressure, I'm going to have an unconscious sort of need to sort of self-reassure myself a little bit. So any sort of anti or pretending I've got something in my eye or brushing something off, um, or generally, um, you know, I will, I will sort of change hand positions. So I might move my hands in a, in a certain different place. So that will that will that will be in that will be consistent with the question. So we're almost like taking a a timeline. So in a police in interview, for example, there's generally two of you. One will be asking the questions, and one will be what we call the sweeper officer. They'll be writing things down because as, as the investigating officer, you can't be sitting there writing it all down. You're you know you, you have to build rapport with the suspect, and um, and then when you look back on the timeline, you can then say right, okay, um, breaking this timeline down, let's go in reverse. And, you know, generally a person that's, that's got nothing to do with the offence will be able to give you an accounting for it in different orders, um, whereas a guilty person won't. So there's lots of different tricks, almost tradecraft, I guess, that you do when interviewing somebody. Question from Jean. What do you reckon Clement Freud's part was in this situation? Um, again, I'm, I can't really comment on that because I've not, uh, I'm not sort of researched that aspect of it with him. Question from GB: Do you think the McCanns will ever get prosecuted for anything? A child neglect? No, not for child neglect. I think there's a large degree of not so much nepotism, but I've always said if they were, you know, Mr. and Mrs. McCann, who you know he, he was a mechanic, she worked in the local shop. I think it would have been a different sort of situation. I do think there's a, a lot of nepotism involved in this because of their position in society. I think that's had a, a great um, bearing on the amount of um, attention that the case case got. So Rainbow is saying that Jerry squirms out of his seat when asked certain questions. Have you noticed that? Yeah, again, this this is to do with what I've been saying about posture. Um, I mean, although he's you know clearly a very intelligent man, things a surgeon, isn't he? Um, he tries to remain very stoic and very still. But again, this just comes down to this detection apprehension. You know, it's almost like you're getting too close now. I need to create distance. And we see that in verbal context when, you know, for Clinton, for example, said, you know, didn't have relations with that woman. Mm -hmm. You know, if it was innocent, it'd, it'd name, say, Mr. Winsky or Monica. Mm -hmm. And likewise, um, people try to create not just a um, non-verbal distance, you know, by moving maybe away or crossing their arms. And they will try to create a verbal distance by saying, you know, I, I, no, I didn't know that woman or that that thing. They'll use the, those sort of terms like that rather than naming them. And it's try, it's, it's just literally trying to create a distance between them and the situation in the investigator's mind. Indie Girl is wondering, why were the UK police ever involved? 
Well, I think they, they complain that much that the Portuguese police weren't being effective. I mean, they effectively ruined the, the um, investigating officer in Portugal's career, didn't they, uh, by trying to allege misconduct. I think it was a um, an attempt to muddy the waters, if I'm honest, because obviously we have the, the blood that was found in the vehicle. We have the cadaver dogs. You know, I know <clears throat> there's inconsistencies in their account of where the villa was geographically in relation to where they were. Um, and then there's also some suggestion in terms of the timeline um, I've heard, you know, sort of assertions. I think was it Peter Hyde that mentioned it? There's like a three-day window. So I think he, he mentioned something like this, the offence, alleged offence happened here, but then, you know, they secreted her allegedly, um, and then three days later, that's when they've got the high car and moved her. So there's a lot of holes in the story, really. So Dan, there's a lot of different theories about what happened. There's a lot of people who support the McCanns. And I've, I've spoke to police, ex-police who support the McCanns. Do you get blowback because of your position on this? It's the most prevalent or most popular question I get asked by journalists. Because I obviously I write for the press as well. And I work on sort of, the, you know, obviously not crime-wise, but I work on a lot of TV shows in the UK. And when I'm interviewed on radio and sort of telly, um, that's the main question. But obviously I have to be quite, quite careful. Um I give my opinion, but again, I have to be sort of careful what you say. So Nicole is wondering whether you think it's crazy that they'd leave a child, never mind three, alone. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't have done that. I mean, that's that's what most people say. You know, why would you leave your child? Um, yeah, I totally agree with you. Why would you do that? I've got a two-month-old baby here. I mean, my partner just absolutely won't, won't let him out of our sight. We were just, you know, you're hyper vigilant, aren't you, when you've got yeah. a, a new a newborn? I mean, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, why would you? I don't know anybody. You know, I know lots of people have done lots of different socioeconomic backgrounds and occupations, and I don't, I've not met a single one that that thought it was appropriate to do that. Yeah, um, we're getting asked. I don't know if this is outside your remit, but we're getting asked about the theory of. Uh, Madeline getting drugged and perhaps there was a accidental too much given and a death. I've heard the I've heard I've heard the assertion that yeah apparently she was quite boisterous at times and they potentially give her something to calm her down and obviously there's been some sort of ab reaction or some sort of contraindication to that, that medication. And and that's another theory that I've heard. Yeah I'm I can't really comment on it because you know we just don't know but I have heard that I have heard that that sort of um scenario put forward. So you've been asked by BR about your perspective on the Portuguese police because in the beginning they had them a Guido, but more recently haven't they issued an apology? So what, what do you think about the complete uh, change in attitude? I'm a bit dismayed, actually, because I think looking at that detective that initially was investigating, he truly believed. I mean, he said it outright, didn't he? Um, and he was, he was, I think he was a pretty decent guy. I think he, he really... Did his best, and I think he, you know, he just didn't get the necessary evidence. Um, you know, if if if, if it, it did happen the way we think it did, um, I've got no no idea why they've apologised. To be honest, because I don't believe they've got any reason to apologise. You know, they've gone out there to investigate to the best of their ability, and then they've had obviously officers from the UK sort of stomping in, and and quite rightly, you know, it's not really not really in our jurisdiction. Um, so with. So we're talking to Darren Stanton about the McCanns right now. He is a body language and behavioural expert. If you've got any questions, please put them in the chat. And Sego is saying, this is not necessarily related to this case, just my curiosity. Do these affectations and tells change 
when there's a deliberate agenda, e.g. when people know they're being filmed? Yeah, I think so. I think, well, they say, like, when they do observational documentaries and things like that, people, you cannot not affect the environment, can you? Um, I think certainly in this context, though, even though they're being filmed, um, I mean, I did hear something, I'm not sure, I've got no evidence to support this, but I heard a, um, a thing where they were being interviewed by a camera crew. Um, and again, I've, I've got no evidence to support if this is true or not. There were a fixed camera, there was a second position reverse camera, so two cameras, then a third camera doing a wide shot. And I heard that um, she wanted a break because she got upset. And when they've shouted cut, she began to start laughing. I did not realise the third wide shot camera was still rolling. I don't know how true that is, but that's something else that I've heard as well. Um, so Craig is wondering when the PJ formally interviewed Kate McCann, did they make the mistake of letting Jerry McCann sit on the, in on the interview? Was it a mistake? Yeah, I think I think it was bizarre. I, I don't know why that was allowed to happen. Um, definitely. So you put particular emphasis on hand movements earlier, Darren. Were there any notable hand movements you noticed in the cans when they were giving statements? They're quite they, certainly Jerry's quite stoic. He does a gesture called a reverse steeple, um, and this is almost like what, what, what you know. My opinion, what professionals would do. Um, we notice President Trump does a, what's called a reverse steeple, um, which is more to do with you know I'm the more most important person in the world. So that's yeah. a normal steeple, is it? Up, upwards, yeah. and a reverse is down. Yeah. So, so we, I've seen him do the reverse steeple. Some, so it's almost, you know, like it's a, it's almost like a power power struggle. Really, it's almost like I'm getting one over on you. It's duping delight in a way. So, so normally you might say, yeah, okay, blah blah blah. But then the reverse steeple. If you watch Trump Trump footage, for example, does that a lot. Um, so it just means that he. Is calling the shots like he is the most important person, or the most most more to do with power, more to do with the assertion of power and control, uh, and we see that gesture in quite a few interviews. So the the upward one is power and control, or the downward one? Well, this was it's still a power gesture, um, but it's something that I say a lot of people that not arrogant, but somebody that's very confident. So we tend to see it with with maybe lawyers or doctors will sort of do this gesture. Um, but then this is just really a more extreme version of that of that gesture. So this is more the person's more interested in sort of power and control, really. And it comes from um, you're almost pointing to your genitals. That's basically where the theory comes from, you know, uh, that you're the big man sort of thing. It sounds a bit bizarre, I know, but that's 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 where they reckon the reckon the origins of it come from. But but yeah, anyone that's doing this, what well, in, in the reverse, um, you know, for them. Um, the topic's very much about power and control and the assertion of power. So I'm going to have to look out for that. So when people are doing the downward one, for example, is that something that just occurs naturally with people or is it something that they're trained to do by body language experts so that they can project power and confidence? There's certain gestures that that um, they're taught to do. So, for example, I mean, I worked a lot on Trump. I was gutted when he got voted out, Sean, to be honest, because I used to get a lot of work for Trump. And, um, you know, be interested to see what happens next year. Um, not specifically that gesture, but, for example, if, if the media are taking a photo, um, people that are in the know, like Trump was, for example, and Putin, you'll always see them on the left-hand side. So right, so as you're looking at the television, 
they'll always be right off shot because there's something the way that the camera captures them the 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 photograph that allows them to see it seem more powerful and there's a great bit of um the footage if people google when um president trump met the japanese um prime minister that was i think he was assassinated last year um he literally pulls him towards him um he pulls him sort of off balance um and you'll see uh, president trump pull a fantastic contempt micro expression so he'll, he'll go and then he's got a fake smile so we all know that one of the most faked emotions is a smile because we tend to smile when we're worried we're anxious so if you said to me oh how's it going darren and i say oh all right thanks sean now if i've got the weight of the world on my shoulders i'm probably I'm, you know i'm not going to get into it with you right now yeah so i'm just gonna yeah i'm fine thank you but my my smile won't be genuine because um the crow's feet here won't be engaged um and my eyes won't be engaged so you'll generally see a fake smile so if people look at that footage on YouTube, you'll see him pull contempt. He'll then pull a fake smile. He pulls his jacket towards him, which is another power gesture. He yanks the Japanese guy towards him, and then he goes like that. So if someone did that to you, oh, like, good boy, good boy. Who was you told? And then as they disengage, the Prime Minister goes like this with his hand because he's crushed his hand. So if, so if the viewers want to look at that, it's, it's really interesting. GB's got a question. Do you think the McCanns have been treated differently because they are doctors? That's a great question, GB. And yes, I do think that. Um, I do think they've been treated differently. I alluded to it earlier. Um, certainly in, in the UK, I think, you know, people in certain professions, people tend to, it's like if you go to a networking event or something, you know, I've, I've done this just for, just for, um, just for a bit of a social experiment. You know, I've been places where people don't know me. If you say, oh, uh, I, I'm, I'm a like in England we call it a dustman. If you say I'll take out the trash, I'm like on the on the trash truck, you know. Oh, if you say you're a doctor or you're a you know a judge, people ascribe a different level of respect to you based on your identity. It's on your profession. It shouldn't be that way, but but people do tend to, you know, look at your profession and they'll they'll sort of ascribe you more respect or not. Um, so I do think that them being doctors has played a massive part in the way that um, this investigation has been handled. So are you saying that these people who are taught to in a certain way because they have esteemed professions, would there be like a feedback loop whereby those people then, because they're being treated that way, their body language would change over the years to accept that they are esteemed professions, professionals? Yeah, I mean, that, that's possible. But I think, I mean, I've not seen your recent interviews with the McCann's, but all the way through, certainly the early parts of the interview, I think if anyone wants to go and investigate the McCann's that, that hasn't done so already, the, 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 really, the, the, the gems, the gold really is in the first few months of the investigation because that's when the thing was fresh, was raw, and that's when they were their most vulnerable in terms of being spoken to by the media. I mean, now, um, they probably wouldn't give off the same sort of gestures because they've had over a decade to settle into that. Um, but if you know, certainly the first sort of two months worth or three months worth of interviews, um, you know, there's lots of tells and gestures coming out because you know, even back then, what we do, what I do, wasn't that prevalent in you know, in, in sort of crime investigation back then. And we can look at things historically, you know, I get I very often get asked to look at I was, I mean, I was recently asked to look at the engagement video of Princess Diana, you know, and we can see lots of things coming out that we weren't aware of back then. So we can look at historical footage. 
um, and, and sort of, you know, make assertions that we weren't able to do back then. What were the main things Diana was leaking? She didn't want to be there. I mean, Charles didn't want to be there either. I mean, there's a famous comment where um, the journalist says, are you very, are you in love? And he's like, yes, yes, I am. Whatever that means, whatever love means. Well, then Diana goes, like, just to say, what are you, what are you saying? You know, so she, she was just like a complete fish out of water, really. Um, but there was no way that he wanted, he didn't really want to get married. I think it was all about having producing an heir for the throne. Yeah, I'll never forget that quote when he says, Whatever, yeah, love whatever means. means. Oh, thanks. You know, you're really selling it to me, aren't you? <laughs> so, Seagull's got a question that ties in with what you just said. You, you just said that, you know, in the beginning they were vulnerable and it was raw, but they became more seasoned. And Seagull is saying, If you are well practiced in deception, then does that mean that you will not be detected during interviews? There's again, I keep saying this phrase, but it is a great question. You got some great questions coming in tonight. Yes, it does. So, for example, if if you knew that you were going to be going into a situation, say in a week's time, so what the police tend to do in the UK now for a lot of offences, not murder, obviously, but the lower offences, there's something called a necessity test. So, in the old days, when you would just get arrested for everything. Um, if we know who you are, okay, because obviously custody gets very gets very busy, um, we do what's called a voluntary interview. So if I said to you, Sean, right, I need to come in next week and I'm going to be asking you about what happened, you've got a whole week to prep that. Whereas if you're arrested right there and then, you know, and that's where the, the British, what we call a caution. So, if, for example, in the US, you know, like the Miranda rights, you know, you, you have the right to remain silent. Well, in the UK, the, the caution, we call that, that's, that's what we say the rights of the suspect are. It changed um, about 20 years ago because it used to be you don't have to say anything, but anything you do say may be using evidence. Whereas now, it's you don't have to say anything, but it may harm your defence if you fail to mention when questioned something which you later on in court. Because what was happening was people were having time to think about it. So if I arrested you tonight, Sean, or, or somebody... Um, and you you go, no comment, I'm not speaking to you. But then by the time you get to court, you've had time to think of a plausible answer or somebody's given you an answer. The judges now can say, no, we're not accepting that account because you have the opportunity to speak on interview or on, on interrogation. Hence why it says when questioned, you know, something you later on in court because people were coming up with. So to answer, going back to the original question, yes, if someone's prepped and they know pretty much what they're going to be asked. There's a thing called visual motor rehearsal. And a lot of athletes have actually used this, believe it or not. There was a famous experiment um, with David Beckham when he was, you know, really young in, in, in his career. And they wired him up to an EEG machine and they, they, they kind of monitored him um, training, you know, uh, passing the ball and whatnot, measured his brain waves, And then they kind of relaxed him, almost put him into a trance. And they had him mentally go through the same process in his mind and what was interesting was the eeg brainwaves were almost identical so the brain can't differentiate between things that are real or imagined the, the same neurons fire so by the same token if you're rehearsing um, a version of you in an interview room being asked questions if you kind of tell your mind i want to remain calm i want to seem plausible you know i want this i want that if you do that time and time again for a solid week, when you come to do it for real, the brain will go, oh, yeah, I've already done this 100 times already. I know what you want. So that's a long way of explaining um, how that works. 
Wow, this is fascinating. So in America, the protocol is if the cops come and, you know, trying to arrest you or ask you questions about you plead the fifth, you call your lawyer and your lawyer, you know, will say, keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Any any inquiries, it comes to me. So are you saying that if you do that in the UK, that is now an aggravating factor in terms of the court and the judge to no. keep your mouth shut? Well, you know, well, the thing about the thing is, the thing about it is the police, you don't have to say anything's a suspect. So it's the same principle applies. You know, we say you don't have to say anything. Okay. So, um, so you can sit there, even if you're completely innocent, and you can sit there. I, I've had innocent people that sit there and said no comment. So it's for me as a cop, okay, to get the points to prove for that offence in interview. So if they go no comment, um, police officers tend not to like that because they've still got to go through the whole list of questions. So, you know, I've sat there sometimes for two hours on interview and they've said no comment. Um, and it's frustrating. Um so, so it, it's not going to. So, so literally, it won't harm the prosecutor. It won't harm you as a as a suspect because you do have the right to remain silent. You know, you don't have to say anything. Um, it just means that if you suddenly then come up with a, some miraculous reason why you were in that particular place at that particular time, um, and they would the judge or the magistrates, as we have in the UK, they would just say, "Well, why not just why not just say that at the time then." Um, so then they can draw an inference um, on why you initially said no comment and then you're now happy to give an account. They can draw an inference on your, um, you know, unwillingness to cooperate. Um, but, but, yeah, on paper, you do not have to speak to the cops. Question from Gene. The German suspect, do you think he was, he's been a scapegoat? Yeah, I think all these these strange sightings that have come up, I just think they're just the smoke and mirrors. I'm not saying there's somebody orchestrated it, but I just think, yeah, I've, I've never held, I've never thought they've held water, really, all these different suspects and photo fits that have been, been sketched out. I've never really thought anything of it, really. Fred is wondering whether there was any intelligence agency involvement in the McCann case. I've got instinct is not, but again, who knows? Um, I'm, I'm not sorry if we're over anything, and my gut instinct is not. But again, I can't, I can't, I can't prove either way. Question from Alpha: Did the media? How did the media really find out about the story so soon? Um, I don't know specifics of it, but but that's a great question. I mean, was a press release released? You know, was it was it off the back of the fact that the police began to just obviously get it into the media? quick as possible and um, being a child um she would have immediately been classed as certainly in the uk um as a high risk misper high risk missing person so um when someone goes missing in the uk um you go out initially and you fill in a computer system called compact you fill the details in now if that person's elderly or they're on medication or they have mental health issues um they're given a score almost like a gravitas score of where they are. So, for example, if someone is always going missing, you know, and they always turn up at a friend's house, um, it doesn't mean the police don't care and wouldn't be out looking for them, but the level of urgency wouldn't be there. Whereas if you've got someone that's never been missing before or, or, or a young child, then that would immediately go straight to the top of the, the list as being an urgent, urgent thing. In your experience, do you think it was normal for the parents to go and play tennis? No. No, I don't think it was normal. The same way if you guys are aware of a case called Philpotts, 
McPhilpot. Um, in fact, one of the co-conspirators had just been released from prison today. Um, so if for those that are not aware of this in England, I'll, I'll kind of bring the, I'll tell you back what you're asking. But in England, we had a guy, um, a very bizarre man who was married, but he also had his girlfriend living in a motorhome on the drive. So they would sort of swap with his wife, his girlfriend. Uh, his wife had enough of this, and so she dumped him. And he had this idea to set the house on fire. And this guy had about 13 kids. Um, and there were about six kids in the house at the time. And what happened was he didn't realise the fire would spread so quickly and all of the kids died. Um, are you aware of that, that case? I have heard something. I remember something about that in the news. Yeah, yeah. the TV yeah. show called uh, Judge Rinder's Crime Stories in the UK. I worked on that. Um, so, so yeah. What was the original question again, Sean? Sorry. So the original question. <laughs> I think we've direct, we've come off the track. Well, come there. Off there. Those are, yeah. <laughs> um, how could they move the body if they were in the spotlight of the world's press? Well, if you follow one of the accounts that I mentioned. Okay, whereby let's let's just you know run an alleged assertion. They've given her a sedative. Something's happened. They've come back. They discovered her. They thought, wow, you know. So they've potentially secreted her. Um, they've gone for dinner. They've got then they've gone through the illusion that Maddie's that she's missing, right? So this is some. This is my assertion. This is some people's um, assertion. They've then waited three days. Um, got the car. Then they've moved her. Then they've raised. Sorry. Then they've raised the alarm. There's not. Sorry, sorry. They've raised the alarm three days later. Is what I'm saying. I'm getting confused. So, so they've already moved her, and then they raised the alarm. Is what I'm saying. So, so there wasn't any spotlight on them. Um, you know, there was a potentially a two to three day window to move her, and then raise the alarm. Is what what I meant. I found the original question. It was how did the media find out the story so soon? Yeah, so so similarly, it's, it's kind of about the media aspect of it. Um, I think I th I'm not sure if there was a press release produced, or it would have probably been just a press conference because that that was the point I brought on Philpot was that they said to Phil Philpot, "Will you do a press conference for us?" And he was like, "Yeah, no problem." Oh, that was it. That's the reason why you know playing tennis. Um, the reason why I brought those up was basically those kids were all lying in the morgue. And they were out in the in the pub drinking, and even people that had been collecting money for them and and making sure they were okay, even very close friends thought it was like bizarre that they were out dancing, singing, you know, getting drunk, and the police were still out there investigating this alleged alleged crime. That was that was the reason I brought the puzzle. And so yeah, similarly, you'll find that certain people will engage in grandiose behavior. They won't, even if they're very intelligent, you know, sometimes they just don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, if that happened to me, I'd just be mortified. Just words wouldn't be able to describe it. Um, so Thanks. yeah, going out playing tennis was, was bizarre. Thanks for the super chats, guys. Jennifer's asking, do you think the whole truth will ever come out? I really hope so. And I pray it does, but my gut instinct is no, which is terrible. Next question. Yeah. Why did the McCanns refuse to answer 37 police questions? And what does that say about them? I think personally, because it would open a massive can of worms that they couldn't get out of. So again, it's this deception by omission. Um, if I, if I don't say it, then, you know, you've got no lines of inquiry. So by, by saying I can't, it's like it's to me, Sean, if I didn't want to answer a question, I could say, well, to be honest, I've signed an NDA, so I can't discuss it. That's the easiest way out of that one. 
Um, and I think it's the same thing with these. They've just literally said that to sidestep any awkward potential questions that they're not already prepped. Why do they keep throwing money into this investigation? Again, you know, there's been no, you know, um, investigation in British history that's had this amount of millions. I think there's a lot of people out there still support them, still have hope um, that she's going to come back one day. So I think that's the reason people just have resonated with their situation that truly believe that they've gone through what they've said they've gone through um, and, and just, just, you know, just, just support them unequivocally. Do you feel there's a difference in the feeling about Kate and Jerry or are the reactions similar? I think it's fairly similar. I think they people tend to feel well, the 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 perception I believe is that people feel that Jerry's is the the more dominant of the of the dynamic of the, of the relationship. Um, you know, so he's he's sort of pulling the strings really. Um and she's the more sort of submissive um of the of the two. That's what that's that's kind of my take on it. What body language behaviours indicate that he's the more dominant? I think just generally he tends to take charge a lot more. Um, there's often times when she'll be speaking and then he will interrupt. So almost almost correct her um, to make sure she's still on script. And that tends to be quite consistent with a lot of people. With I mean, again, uh, Philpot would do that a lot. Um, so it's, it's very prominently all about assertion of power and control. So if you watch some of the interviews back, you'll notice that he intervenes or corrects her at certain times, and she, she just goes with it. Right, we're down to the last five minutes or so, viewers. If you've got any questions for Darren, um, put them in the chat. Uh, Hillary said, are we sure that they played tennis the following day? How, how has that been confirmed? I don't know. I mean, that's that's just what I read like everybody else. I've not got access to any inside information, but that, that's that's what we were told. Um, CPE is saying they were giving her an anaesthetic, not just leaving her alone. She woke up and fell because she was doped up. That seems a common view, doesn't it? That, that's certainly one of the theories out there, yeah. Um, let's see. Hello, Sean and guest. From a suspect's point of view, which is best, a prepared statement or to give an account? Um, playing devil's advocate, probably a preferred statement, but, um, a prepped statement because your attorney or solicitor, um, I'm not sure how it works in the States, but certainly in the UK, um, we did used to have that quite a lot where a, um, a prepared statement was read out by a solicitor on interview. Um, so if you feel that you have got something to hide, then that's that's probably the best way of going about it. Who is still paying for the McCann's legal team? I don't you know. know I don't know either. Emma, all right. Do you think that the McCanns showed any emotion when she was when she went missing? As from where we were sitting, we think that didn't they didn't look at all that bothered and hardly showed any emotion. I mean, people show emotions in lots of different ways, but I do agree that that level of stoicism it just just wasn't wasn't consistent with you know like someone's someone being in that situation. I mean, that's that's. Even though you know I do what I do, like sometimes it's so obvious, so blatant. You don't have to be any kind of expert to say, well, that doesn't stack up. And I'm sure a lot of the viewers watching right now will think, well, yeah, I'm I'm pretty good at this. And yeah, you are, you know, because sometimes it's so blatant with people. You know, why would someone in this this distressed situation um, be put? You know, why are they not reacting? And yeah, people do sometimes. I mean, I've delivered 
So, for example, if someone got killed in a car crash or, you know, passed away and I had to go and tell the family, I have had it sometimes. I mean, I had one particular where an older lady passed away and I went to tell the sister and the first question was, what's going to happen to the house? I should have left it to me. And I was like, sorry, can we just go back? Like, your sister's passed away? So people do respond in, sometimes in, in bizarre ways. But I think going back to this context, I just thought, it, yeah, absolutely bizarre, the fact that we didn't see, um, you know, any emotion. We've not seen outright grief, stricken grief, you know. And people tend to move in and out as well. The main thing is that when people are trying to sort of feign I mean, don't get me wrong, if they have been involved in this, allegedly, they're still going to have a degree of of sorrow, of, of grief, um, but it's just because they do know the real outcome. Um, that's that's kind of how they're able to, or they've got to suppress it to, to a degree. They're trying to suppress all their outward leakage. Um, but for them not to display certain emotions, I just thought it was incredibly bizarre. I'm going to paraphrase this next question because there's a bit of extreme language in it. Um, you're getting asked as to whether looking at the body language cues, there was anything to indicate that Jerry could be abusive. I I can't say that I've seen that, but I have heard snippets of things where that, that's an element. I've also heard that there's a sexual element to this the whole thing as well. Um Allegedly. <laughs> Snap jinx. All right. So, Elaine, I first heard Jerry on the radio saying abduction. I didn't know anything at the time about the story, but all I remember thinking was people don't use that word. Question mark. He sounded like an actor. What do you think about that? Yeah. Again, people cannot very often prepare in their mind what they're going to gonna, gonna say and do. Um, it sounds so, for example, um, there's um, people may be aware of a contraction. So, <clears throat> if if you accuse me of something, Sean, and then I haven't got any, I'm I'm, I'm guilty. I've got no time to think about um, my own response. So if you said, um, be honest, did you steal that 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 wallet? If I'm guilty, I'll say no, I did not steal that wallet. I won't say no, I didn't. Are you crazy? I didn't do anything, right? They'll absolutely mirror your your question. So when you say did you, they'll say no, I did not. So an innocent person is, is going to use a contraction as in didn't, like have not, have not, hadn't. Whereas a guilty person statistically is more likely not to use a contraction. Um, you know, they will repeat verbatim what you asked. Um, and also sarcasm is always a good one as well. You know, if people, if you say to somebody, and this is true in any situation that you feel someone's been deceptive, you know, um, I once overheard somebody say, oh, I'll be honest, are you cheating on me? And then the guy said, yeah. Uh, yeah, of course I am. And I'm cheating on you with your sister, and I'm seeing the neighbour as well. Well, he tried to find you all seeing the sister. But then he, he chucked in the actual bit of sarcasm, and that's to muddy the waters. So people will generally, I mean, if someone says, oh, you, if my other one says, oh, you cheated on me, I'd go, you're crazy. What, where do you got that from? You know, you wouldn't say, yeah, of course I am. I'm, I'm, I'm the woman at the corner, corner shop. Um, so sarcasm's a big red flag as well. Well, we're almost out of time. There's still tons of questions. Let me just see if I can find um, any that. All right, what happened to the cadaver dog evidence? I'm not sure about that. Me neither. Interesting. All the blood samples. Um, uh, the car. Did aliens abduct her? I'm not sure about that. <laughs> what about the translator that was suspected? I think he was um, discounted, wasn't he? Yes. Early yeah, on in the case. Involved in that, I don't think. 
Um, right, and we've got the other guests about to come in as well. So, Darren, this has been absolutely fascinating. I could speak to you all day. Obviously, uh, the viewers could too. There's so many questions. Can you just let the viewers know where they can find you and support you, please? Yeah, sure. So, I, I'm in a TV show with a guy called uh, Judge Rinder, which is a show in the UK, which is on Apple TV, um, on the Crime Investigation Channel in the UK, and you can also find it on Amazon Prime. Um, if you're in the UK, I've actually got a live UK tour happening in 2024, and that's a live interactive event where I look at some serial killers, and I also kind of interact with the audience and teach you basically how to, how to spot a liar. So that's in 24, and then I've got my new book coming out um, in April, which is called To Be Honest With You, because statistically, most people lie to you right after they say the phrase, to be honest with you, Sean. <laughs> oh, I'm going to check your book out as well, Darren. Again, huge thank you for coming on, and we hope to see you again. And thanks to the viewers as well for all the great questions. So cheers, Thanks, Darren. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Take, take care. Bye. Take care. All right.